So Mark and Bobby and Jonathan come up for our panel. This is Q&A for you guys. You guys could ask whatever you want from the sessions this morning, really from anything on, on Nine Marks of a Healthy Church or pastoral ministry. All right, this is your time. Just raise your hand. The microphone will come to you. If you have the microphone, just stand. If you, if you're, if you have a microphone, then we'll just kind of point you out that way. So name, church, location. Jackson Tran, uh, Echo Church in Chino. Jackson and Tran, his, his microphone. Pull it right up to your mouth. Can you hear me? There we go. There you go. My question is, uh, what circumstances would you recommend jumping steps in church discipline? So Matthew 18, are there situations in which you can skip steps that are in there? And what would be those circumstances? Well, to be clear, first of all, I don't think Paul is giving us, Jesus or Paul are giving us like, how do you program something step one do this step two I don't think he's giving us specific always do it like this rather I think he's establishing Jesus and Paul are establishing a number of principles that we're going to apply in any case-by-case -case situation but you're always using pastoral discernment like what what do we need to do right here with this guy in light of what's known broadly what's not known in light of the nature of the sin is it public those kinds of questions is this a young Christian an old Christian you're always taking a multitude of variables into account when you're going to move more quickly more immediately and maybe not even just warn the church but just come to them and ask for immediate removal I think circumstances have to be pretty extreme typically involving number one uh very concrete certainty of unrepentance. Number two, often, not always, some level of division or potential for division that you're seeking to ward off. Uh, whether or not something is broadly public isn't a decisive factor, but it will factor in. I remember one church where the church discovered this guy had been acting illegally when it showed up in the newspapers now the whole city knows at the same time as the church well that's going to warrant a different kind of response than if the elders had quietly figured learned this you know so you're just going to be looking at a multitude of things but the, the, the decisive question is always is this person repentant and can we publicly affirm that repentance if the answer is yes you don't take it to the next level if the answer is no, well then you either take it to the next level or you call for immediate removal. I can think of two occasions, Mark, when CHBC called for an immediate excommunications. One was when a, a couple in the church had literally emailed the entire congregation calling him a heretic because of his Calvinistic views. Well, it was public, it was wide, they were set on it as principles of righteousness, and the elders moved for immediate removal on that occasion. But that's pretty rare. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Jordan Durst, Grace Church, Monterey Bay. Is it ever biblically appropriate to take communion or the, the elements outside of the local church? I can give you examples if you want. I'm, I'm not going to say in principle, I'm not going to say never. If, if by the same token that you have the Ethiopian eunuch. But I, I think I would say almost never. So I'll, I, I'll go for never. Yeah. 
Well, it might I, I can't think of the Ethiopian official taking the Lord's Supper there. He was only baptized. Well, I might encourage you, you know, there is a little bit of light between him and me on this one. Mm. So. Stand yeah. up. So, so they'll know if, to turn the mic on if you're... So what, what if in the instance of you have somebody who's dying in the hospital would like to take communion toward the end, could you go with an elder team and give them communion? Or, for example, myself being a military chaplain in the chapel context, offering communion um, to a, a body of Protestants, which is not a chapel. I'm sorry, which is not a church, but it is a chapel. It's something I've wrestled with personally, and, um, and it's been a struggle, frankly. So. I'll let Jonathan give a nice answer. What I would just say is that's just because Protestants have forgotten they're being molded by Roman Catholic thoughts. We've never understood the sacraments in that sense to have any grace apart from the Efficacy. word, the ministry of the word. It's there, Jesus said, remember. So it's just, there's not a need. I am not spiritually disabled if in God's providence I'm not in the circumstances to be able to be in the church. And I am, I am as bereft by not being in the church, not the building, but in the assembly, as I am bereft by not taking the Lord's Supper. So to even focus the question on the Lord's Supper means our brains have already been eaten out by Rome. Mm. So I would just call you back to the Bible and just say there's nothing in the Bible that would lead you to that kind of conclusion. That exhortation he gives is not to us as individuals, it's to us as a church. Yeah, in terms of the dying individual, I would agree with Mark entirely. Insofar as there's some assumption of mystical grace, you know, being transfused, that's deeply problematic. Mm. Uh, where, where, where there might be a tiny bit of daylight between us is for, and he's right, the, the grace we receive is, is a public grace. I, I read you guys 1 Corinthians 10, 17. It's, it's that affirmation, affirming grace. The only place I would see the possibilities if you have something that's church-like, but for some reason, a permanent inability to be with the church. But something church-like in that instance. But if you're on an aircraft carrier for nine months, that's not a permanent inability to be with the church. Right, I would agree with that. Okay. I'm thinking more shut-in. Before we go to that question over there, uh, who do you guys allow to take the Lord's Supper at your church and why? How do you fence the table? Uh, we would fence the table by uh, someone having to have been baptized, uh, someone... Um, uh, not under church discipline at another church. Um, so we will let Christians who are visiting our church partake in communion with that stipulation so long as they're not under church discipline, but professing believers, obviously, and uh, not in an unrepentant state. Jonathan, Chevrolet Baptist, if that's your view. Yeah, uh, baptized, member, in good standing of a gospel preaching church or a church that preaches the same gospel that you heard here this morning, you are welcome to take the supper with us, is how we learned to say it when we were at Capitol Hill and we still say it. So it's the same for you, Mark, right? I mean, you have two principles. You have a, a principle of, I would say, apostolicity, doctrinal carefulness, that pushes you towards a closed view. You have a principle of Catholicity that pushes you towards an open view, all Christians, and we combine them in the middle with a close view. 
baptized members of gospel preaching churches. Okay. Bobby, for you with a self-professing, does that have to be members or not necessarily? We have, I'm thinking that through as okay. of this weekend, but we haven't said you have to be a member of a gospel preaching church. What do you, what do you mean you're thinking it through as of this weekend? Well, I just, I think I was, Peter was kind of asking me the same question. Do you say that you have to be a, you know, like a member of a gospel preaching church? And we have not said that at our communion services. So okay. I am now thinking that through. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Peter, Bethany Baptist Church. Um, yeah, we would be similar to, to them, except we would say, um, if you're a member of a church, if you've been baptized and you're a member of a church that preaches the same gospel you hear us preach, and that, the way that your gospel preaching church def, um, defines baptism, we would let you take the Lord's Supper. This is a little bit of wiggle room there for pedo-baptists. All right, gospel preaching church. Wait, 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 follow up on that. Sure. So would you let a pedo-baptist into regular communion at your church? As a member of our church? Well, that I don't, would be regular I don't know the difference between regular communion and member into regular communion at our church. So they're just there every Sunday. I assume the heart of membership is communion. I assume regular communion means regular membership. Yeah, they they could not be a member at our church. If you saw someone regularly taking communion who was not a member of your church, I assume you would speak to them about that. Yes. Okay. Yep. Hi. Back there and then Jeff after. Okay. Ulysses Wang, Renewal Church. I have two questions. Um, Should baptism automatically include and entail church membership part and parcel or is there ever a case to kind of separate out the two processes for for a new believer and then secondly kind of related to the other brother's question about church discipline um, is there ever a case where sin is let's say serious enough where it should be brought to the church and made public even if the person is repentant well on the first case if we can just talk about baptism and membership I mean, the obvious example is Acts 8, the Ethiopian official. That's what we're all thinking of. So, ordinarily but not necessarily into church membership. Yeah, I've been at our church for 28 years, and I can think of one time when I baptized somebody who was not coming into membership. And that was... I can think of two. Kenichi. Josh Wallach. Oh, he was heading Two out. years heading out. Yeah, okay. That's true. All right, in both these examples, these are people who were headed out. Um, and there wasn't a church to where they were going. So if they were to be baptized any time in the foreseeable future, it needed to be now. But in hundreds of other cases, it's been, they're also in the process of joining our church. And the second one was discipline. What was the question again? I forgot. Happened so quickly that... Well, if your judgment, if your assessment is that they're genuinely repentant, no, you wouldn't bring it to the church unless you need to for, because it's already publicly known. Mm-hmm. So the woman's pregnant. They're all going to see. But you think she's repentant. Well, you have some explaining to do to the congregation, but you're not going to bring it up as a matter of discipline. You're going you're to shepherd them through that. Or it's in the newspaper and they're all seeing, but you genuinely think the person's repentant. You're going to need to explain, we think, you know, Joe's repentant. Nonetheless, you're seeing in this paper, here's what's going on. Now, there might be some question about whether or not they're genuinely repentant, even if they're using those words. Is that a worldly sorrow or a godly sorrow? (laughs) Right? And that's a harder question. Then, Then you might go, and it might be a matter of discipline. 
Yeah, I would add First John 1 9 really gives us a license to be uh, scandalously gracious when someone's confessed sin. That if they're confessing their sin, then we, we can. So, so it, but if the sin has consequences, legal consequences for the church, and, but you're not talking about it publicly as a matter of church discipline. So you're just amazingly gracious. God is forgiven. You're forgiven if they've repented. Next question, Jeff. So, uh, Jeff, name again, just for everyone. Jeff it is on. Jeff Ludington, Generations Church. Uh, in Cerritos. In Cerritos. Uh, now, is that Generations Church, is that name a kind of cool reference to pedo-baptism? <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> Not pedo, Maybe no. it'll tweak. Maybe it'll tweak your creator Baptist friends. I don't know. <laughs> And Generations has never baptized an infant, so that would be hard to do. So, oh. and, and we've never sprinkled for that comment today, just for the record. So, um, <laughs> about church discipline, uh, I'm going to quote you, Jonathan. I'd like to hear kind of a, um, a whoever, but you use two sins. So the selfish person who eats all the ice cream and doesn't share to the adultery, like unrepentant adulterer kind of thing over here. Those are clear. And so... Um, I think we all have a lane, that, I think we all have a, a process of what sins rise to what things. But what I would ask you is, how does your church, corporately, collectively, how do you discern the things that, that rise to that? Because it's clear the ice cream issue is probably not the issue. The adultery thing is an issue. How do you What are some criteria? What is, the, uh, what is your corporate criteria? Right. Number one, get a plurality of elders. Man, these are hard. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting there thinking, I am so glad I'm not the only man in this room making this decision and judgment. So number one, get a plurality of elders. Number two, pray like crazy. Number three, when in doubt, you probably need to slow down. Nine times out of ten. Right? So more conversations. Uh, what are the actual criteria? Well, it's, it's, it's an assessment of repentance. And so you are asking a multitude of questions. I mentioned a few before. Is, is this person weak or is this person wicked? Is this person a young Christian and we kind of understand? Or is this an older Christian who really should know better? Uh, did they bring it into the light or were they forced into the light? Uh, what kind of voices have they been listening to of late? How long has this been going on? So yeah, there's just a lot of those sort of case-by-case -case pastoral questions that you're bringing to bear on the central question of can we as a church continue to affirm this guy's repentance or not? And when it, the needle moves to no, then you go. Yeah, I might add a thought. Like how injurious is the sin to the name of Christ and the church? as well as that individual, so. Next question, just stand if you already have a mic. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Sammy Rios, um, the youth pastor over at Chino Valley Community Church. Uh, in Christianity today, there's a lot of, well, not the, youth, not the uh, publisher, but at large, there's a big push towards generational, intergenerational worship versus uh, silos of ministry like the kids ministry, youth ministry, and adult ministry. 
what is your opinion, and I'll listen to all of you, on the position of youth pastor and whether or not like today it's something that we should still have or if youth should be in the church. I mean, I fully believe that it's not supposed to be a siloed ministry. Um, we are part of the corporate church, but also the body of Christ. But what are your uh, opinions on that? Should he still have a job? Yes, please. Defend my job. Is it okay for you and me to be in the same service? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm lost. Old people and young people. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, the way we've articulated it at uh, Community Faith Bible Church is that the Bible makes it really clear that youth ministry is called parenting. Um, that's Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 4. But equally, um, we, I would contend that as, as God has given gifts to people in the church, there are some people who are uniquely gifted to teach children and so we make allowance for that, um, but we try to make it clear that our, those who are gifted to teach kids at our church, they're doing so um, not to replace the parents. Um, it is, and you have people really gifted to teach. And so all parents may not be you know, gifted to teach, but they have that stewardship and that responsibility. So we want the parents to feel that way God will use them but we don't want to deny the kids opportunities to sit under very skilled teachers who are working very hard to make the word of God clear to them. So, uh, I, so we have a balanced view in that. Um, when it comes to our, our gathered worship, uh, we want the kids here, so we don't have a children's church. Uh, we have a nursery, but not a children's church. So um, that, that's how we've kind of wrestled through that here. Yeah, we, we would not have a separate youth service um, I think a youth group is fine as an extra. Uh, I agree with Bobby very much that parenting is the front lines. But of course you have kids from non-Christian families. Uh, you have single parents who'd like to help. So there's an opportunity for the gospel and for discipling uh, with a youth group. And I'm, I'm happy to use that so long as the people with the youth group, uh, in our case, ours would be led by uh, elders and members of the church who we trust are building them into the church we regularly pray on Sunday nights for God to help our young adults get alongside our teenagers and uh, help disciple them, help the parents. Um, so I think uh, I, I sense the kind of skepticism in your question, not ultimately obviously your job, but uh, I think I would share your concern and your skepticism, but like you obviously have found a, a measure of Christian freedom in how you structure that, and I, I think I'd agree with what you're saying. Next question. Just go, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, Cornerstone Bible Church, Fullerton. Um, church discipline, so two to three, and then move to elders and then congregation. What's the role of the elders in the midst of that process? What's the role of the congregation in the midst of that process? How do the elders lead the congregation in that process? And if you can speak to uh, CHBC's care list. Insofar as elders have been given oversight over the whole flock, Acts twenty twenty eight other first peter 5 hebrews 13 i would say ordinarily elders should lead out in that process and any given situation should be vetted by the elders before it goes to the whole congregation of course there's going to be exceptions right 
And sometimes elders as a whole might be unfaithful. I remember hearing the story of the city church in, in San Francisco deciding that they would now be a, an affirming congregation. Well, that's a situation where the entire elder board should have been excommunicated by the church. There's no mechanism for it, but it should have happened. But ordinarily, hmm. elders have oversight. Elders should be leading the process of church. John, just to make sure everybody's understanding what you're saying on that. You know, Matthew 18 is a context of forgiveness. That's what Jesus is addressing. That's the larger context. And you're not suggesting that most matters of church discipline, which are taken care of by me talking to you or you talking to me, or maybe you and Bobby talking to me, those don't need to go to the elders. Correct. Yes, correct. So most matters of church discipline yeah, 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 in that yeah, sense yeah, yeah. are just taken care of normally in the life of the congregation. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm saying before the thing goes public. Yeah, yeah. Just want to be clear. If, if we can, that's good. If we can resolve it, great. Michael. Um, Michael Cordich. Michael Cordich, First Baptist Church, Glendora. Thank you. <laughs> uh, kind of two questions, uh, two different questions on evangelism. Where do you typically leave them? Because we're not obviously calling for someone to, hey, pray the prayer right now kind of thing. Uh, or if you sense something, the Spirit is moving in their life, do you take that step? And then PJ, quickly on... Right. How do you how do you bring that into a service when your congregation for decades has not had that kind of thing? Okay. Your first. Oh, you say the okay. Yeah. So um, we I, I got there November twenty fourteen. Uh, I would start with a prayer of well. So we, I just stayed with whatever the church had because I know you're also doing a revitalization situation. Stayed with what the church had for a while and then just slowly try to lengthen things here and there. So we start with a prayer of praise and confession as an opening prayer. So it's first opening prayer. And we change it to a prayer of praise and confession in one short prayer and then lengthen it a little bit and then split it off into two prayers over two and a half years or something like that. So it's just a real slow process. Yeah, and the first question was on evangelism. And it was particularly... How do you call for a response? Yeah, there's no set, no set answer to that. It just depends on the conversation. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell them to go away, pray about it, follow Christ, go to the local church, tell them that about, get baptized. Yeah. I do not pray with them there in the sense of confirm that they're now a Christian. I deliberately and, and defiantly refuse to do that when I'm sometimes asked. I don't do that. Let, uh, no. push, push back on this, Mark, about yep. saying if you disagree. Uh, so Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. They repent and get saved. So, uh, so when I'm evangelizing someone and um, I, I'm, I'm looking at John 3 as the wind blowing, it's the Holy Spirit convicting that person. So I, I'm, I'm explaining to them, they're a sinner who rebelled against God. Yeah, I'm a sinner who rebelled against God. I'm telling them how God has sent the Son, Jesus Christ, who died a substitutionary penal death. Where he, he suffered in your place and paid the price for your sins. And he is calling you to turn to him and trust him, and he will forgive you of your sins. So what I want to do at that point, I'm going to say, do you understand what the gospel is commanding you to do? 
So if I have to illustrate it with First Thessalonians, they, they turn from the idols, they turn from this. Are there, what's controlling your life that you're living for now? And Christ is calling you to turn from those things, to trust in him, to rely upon him, to acknowledge that apart from him, you're going to be damned before holy God. And say, I want to do that. Then I would tell the person to repent and trust Christ. And if they don't understand, I'll say, explain it to me then. And if they, if they understand repentance and faith, I'm going to say, do that. And if the Holy Spirit is compelling them and convicting them and leading them and convincing them, then they'll do that. They might do it when they go home. They might do it the next week. They might, but they might do it right there. I don't know. But I'm not going to give them words beyond explaining to them what repentance and faith is. And if the Holy Spirit is blowing and moving, they'll do that. It might, might happen later. And I'll say, if, and, I'll, and I'm not going to give them again, but I'll say, find a church. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Here's, you know, keep pursuing. But I've had a guy, literally, I did a funeral here. And the guy was just tracking with me while I'm preaching. And afterwards, in the parking lot, he came up to me. And he just, and he started asking me questions about his sin. And, 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 I, and I lead him in the gospel again. And then I just told him what repentance and faith was. And he said, can I do that right now? He asked me that. <laughs> what can I do to be saved? And I just told him, and he did. I said, I, you know. <laughs> so. But, but the word of affirmation, going back to Peter. Yes. Repent and be baptized, he said. Right. The word of affirmation is the baptism. So you're, you're shepherding them toward that. Get baptized. Yeah. And then you let the church provide that formal after affirmation, not your, yeah, I think so. It's, it's the church. So, you know, even my 13-year-old yeah. daughter said, Dad, I think I'm a Christian. And I was very careful in how I responded to her to not get in between her and the church. It would need to be the church that provides the formal affirmation of, of my daughter, not me as her dad, as such. Yeah. All right, so then there's Derek. Is there only two mics or is there three? Derek, and then who's the other one? And then Dom. Whoever's back there, and then Dom after. Derek Berry, Pasadena. So my question has a follow up question, but I think it'll be cleaner if I just ask the first fallback and let you answer. Um, aside from doctrinal essentials of the primaries what someone must believe in order to be a Christian aside from that how do you determine what one must affirm in order to be a member of your local church it's a great question Derek it would just be those things that you need to agree on uh, that in order to function together as a local church and if there's some other crucial part of Christian theology which while not in and of itself essential to being saved you know is just so important that if you if you lack it you're really going to put your church in a bad shape like the millennium or, or no like inerrancy of the bible you don't have to believe the inerrancy of the bible to be saved yeah. lots of people may think there are errors in the bible who are trusting in christ but now you and i are going to be aware that we're concerned if you get consistent with that that can undermine everything so we're going to put that in our statement of faith that you need to believe the inerrancy of the bible to be a member of our church um, that would be an example of the kind of thing yeah, I would act for us something like being complementarian. So we're not going to have women pastors here. You can be saved and have a good attendance church with a female pastor, but that wouldn't work as a member here. So complementarianism, baptism. You guys would all say baptism. That's yes. necessary to be a yeah. church. Yeah, but not to be saved. Because you're asking right. about not being saved. So baptism. Right. So I had that initial category of things you have to agree on together because you're going to do something in the church. Like you are or are not going to have women serve right. as elders. That's just an on-off switch. You are or are not going to be baptizing infants at Generation Church. That's just an on-off switch. You know, so just putting that stuff out there, you know. And then yeah. you, you guys would add congregationalism, no? 
Yes, how, how you're going to decide Make decisions things. on excommunicate, like discipline. Uh, independency. Congregationalism is not explicit in our statement of faith. It's assumed. Independency is explicit, yeah. but not congregationalism. But I was trying to, I'm going to guess Derek knows that, so I was trying to give him one step further answer, sure. which is some stuff that you might not realize you need to agree on because it's not essential for salvation, and you don't know everybody has to really agree on it to so be at church together. Yeah. But in order to have a continuing church together, you will find you need agreement on and like yeah. the inerrancy of the Bible. That's really insightful. So tier one, necessary for salvation. Tier two, necessary for being a church. And this kind of in-between zone, necessary for protecting the gospel. Like inerrancy, arguably like our understanding of... And or the unity of the church, depending on how divisive people become about it. Yeah. So, you know, during COVID, we all of us in our churches, we faced people who had radically different responses. Mm. And some of them were effectively saying... You either do what we do, or you're bowing the knee to Caesar. You either do what we do, or you're like, you know, giving in to fear. You either do it, well, you're not leaving us any alternative then. So you're basically putting that up there along with baptism, saying, to take communion here, you have to trust in Christ alone and agree with us on how we're responding to COVID. And that's, I would just, my Galatians alarm would go off there. Mm. And go like, well, you can respond like that. You're free to respond like that. I, in fact, may respond like that, but I'm never going to say you have to respond like that. That's like, now we're in Galatians territory. Well, amen to that, first off. And secondly, would you say that um, if there are a plethora of other churches that one can um, refer someone to, then you get a little bit, you can kind of tighten it down as opposed to if there is a, would, would you offer the same advice to someone who there's one church within 50 mile, 100 mile radius where you may disagree on annihilationism or different things where you would say, well, there's a church down the street or there's a church here you can go to, would you um, say the same thing or is it kind of tweaked based on the availability of uh, solid churches? That's my follow-up question. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's, I'm actually real tough on that one. So when, when we had Presbyterians wanting to join us early on when I was there, and they were willing to be baptized to just go along with things, and I said, no, 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 no. We're not like a Presbyterian church. You know, we don't tell you to obey the elders in that sense. You need to obey scripture. And you need to actually think the Bible says these things yourself. So no, you may not join our church. And they say, but there's no good Presbyterian church. Hey, that's not my problem. They're in error. You know, we'll teach you the truth of the Bible. Come here. But just believe what we say. And so friends of ours who've planted in Dubai have had that very situation. And I've told them, hang tough. Teach the Bible. If they can't find a church with the error they want in it, well, mm, maybe they'll learn something. <laughs> They so, may not agree with me, Derek, but that's what I think. Alex and then Dom, and we might be out of time, but we'll see. Alex Hong. Alex Hong, Christian Fellowship Bible Church, West Covina. Question in regards to church discipline, uh, treating them as an unbeliever and tax collector. And how specific do you get? You know, beyond, you shouldn't take communion. You should be purposeful. Purposeful and um, your engagement with them, but how specific, like, do, as the elders, do, they, do you say you should not attend, or you should not invite them to your baby shower, or you should not invite them to a birthday party, or, or do you kind of stick with the general principles, and hey, you can invite them to, you know, a birthday party, but as long as you are purposeful in calling that person to repentance, so that's my question. Publicly, we don't get that specific at all. Uh, privately, if somebody were asking me, I would just, it depends on 
you know, the thing. That's, they'd say, hey, can I invite them to the birthday party? Uh, I mean, is it a, you know, a blood relative? That's one thing. Is it just a friend? I, I would probably discourage it, uh, lest there be any confusion over the ongoing nature of this relationship. It really just depends on, on, on the situation. But what you're trying to communicate, the principle is, we're no longer brothers and sisters in Christ together, and I don't want to do anything that would undermine you being able to hear with the church. I'm standing with the church against your sin, and so I don't want to undermine that. So then it's just, again, comes down to a case-by-case advice giving. I'm struck by the humility of a room full of pastors asking questions of four pastors. Uh, Any of you guys could be up here giving answers today, so thank you for your humility. Amen. Mm -hmm. Don? Yeah, Dominic Avila, Grace Church, Monterey Bay. Don, Uh, aren't you from right around here? No, no. It's about six hours north. No, no, no. From, from. Oh, yeah. I'm from the hood, East L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome home, Dom. Yep. Uh, Question in regard to, um, for each of you, Sunday evening services, um, do you have them? Did you not have them and then move your church toward a Sunday evening service? And then some of the distinctives of a Sunday evening service compared to a Sunday morning. When I was at Grace Community Church, much of the baptisms, I think all of the baptisms, Sunday evening, even discipline issues handled Sunday evening. So could you speak to that? We don't have an evening service. Um, the commuting is really, really tough for us. So, Jonathan? Because we're meeting in an elementary school, it was difficult to add a second service just due to the constraints imposed on us by the school and the cost and so forth. So for the first three years of our plant, we had no second evening service. About a year ago, we started a once a month evening service. We'd like to, in time, increase that. But that's going to be, to some extent, building dependent. We're following Capitol Hill's model for what we do in that evening service. It's more family conversational oriented relative to the morning service which is going to be a little bit more formal sober less conversational god mark because i just almost do what you do so um we when i got there there was an evening service it was an elderly congregation and southern baptist churches in the 20th century always had a sunday morning sunday night service and then a prayer meeting on wednesday night so i just was trying to adapt for good purposes what they were already doing had I gone to a church that did not have a Sunday evening service, I doubt I would have thought to start one. Um, but having received this and trying to fix it up, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you move into the house, there's a shed in the back that was a, like a, a disheveled tool shop that nobody used. Now you end up fixing it up and it's a very nice study for you out there. And you never would have thought of building one, but now that you have it, it's really good, you know. Well, it's our Sunday evening service is kind of like that. Uh, we don't think everybody needs to have one, but man, it's good. And, and I would say most of the guys who come out of our church and pastor other churches, they tend to want to have one. They, that tends to be almost the main thing they would like to see happen in their church. They just don't know how to do it. And it varies a lot from situation to situation. So the way it was, as a typical Southern Baptist church from the 20th century, there was a morning service and an evening service. The evening service would be just like the morning service, only different hymns, different songs, different sermon. Uh, and instead of having... You know, 500 on Sunday morning, there'll be 50 on Sunday night. And that's where the really committed people are. Um, Well, uh, I grabbed the prayer meeting from Wednesday night, got rid of the Sunday evening service. 
put the prayer meeting on Sunday night in that time, turned Wednesday night into an inductive Bible study, uh, told people that they needed to be there on Sunday night to pray. It's the Lord's Day. This is when we pray together as a church. Come pray with us. I wouldn't have felt I could say that as easily on a Wednesday night. Work. It's not Lord's Day. Uh, so Sunday evening, I felt better about that. And I helped wait the service. We put the Lord's Supper there nine of the 12 months out of the year. We moved it from the morning service to the evening service. Um, and it's just, it's become a very enjoyed, loved service. That Sweet. About half of our members are at, sometimes more than half. So it's, it's, a, it's well attended. And we at Chevrolet found, after a couple of years, we were missing something in our church that the Sunday evening service was supplying for us that we weren't entirely always cognizant of. But then it was like, ah, we, we need what we were getting from that. And we so, try to find a ways to put that stuff into the Sunday morning service, but we're having a hard time. So it really is a sweet. If you have a chance to go to Nine Marks Weekender and sit through an evening, or just sometime you're in D.C., you want to come to a Sunday evening service, it really is a, a sweet so time. So a week ago Sunday, not this last Sunday, but a week ago Sunday, uh, was that Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, I look up in the balcony, and there's H.B. Charles sitting in the balcony by himself. He comes up to me after the service. I said, H.B., what are you doing here? Did, did you preach at your church this morning? He said, yeah, I preached at my church in Jacksonville. I said, why are you here? He said, I wanted to come to the prayer meeting. And, uh, and then, so he came to the service view at that 9 o'clock that night in, the, in my study, and then he and I hung out until midnight, talked, and he said, when somebody else was gone, it was just him and me sitting here, he said, I brought my wife and my daughter to look around the monuments tomorrow, but they only decided to come once they knew I was coming up here, and the reason I wanted to come is I wanted to come to your prayer meeting. He said, I just love your prayer meeting. So he was really, literally just coming to come to the Sunday evening service. Wow. So, and I have to say, if I miss either our morning or our evening service, I'd rather miss the morning service because I can get the sermon. And I love all the other stuff, but I can get that. But you just, you can't re-get what happens on a Sunday evening with people sharing as they go, as we pray for missionaries who are in town, as we hear about things, as the congregation ends up talking about something. You things. might have my pastor to come in and say what's going on at Chevrolet and then pray for him. Well, and even say, anybody want to go to Chevrolet, help them out. You know, yeah. let's have more, let's ship people out. You know, because we've got hundreds of people, we can afford to lose some. So get out. Go help somebody else with their work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we essentially do the same thing. It was originally Wednesday night as well, and we switched it, and we have a shorter sermon. Lord's Supper every second and fourth and fifth Sunday night of the month, and then first and third is in the morning. But essentially same. We Our church is smaller. We do have 40% of our church there, so maybe about 50 or 60 or so there from our 140 members in the morning. Um, and... We do have an open mic kind of sharing blessings and burdens and prayer requests kind of thing. And we just kind of limit that to about 10. Sometimes we get some crazy comments from guests who come, come from out. But it's, it's fun. And the Lord, the Lord gets it. So, All right. Um, we're going to take a five-minute break. And then we're going to come back for the next session. Okay. So at uh, 2.50, we're going to start. So five minutes. Five-minute break.